0: Welcome to our wrap-up episode of our first season of Indie Justice, where we've explored the murder of Angie Barlow and the deaths of several women who have connections to her. My name is Greg Margison. I'm a web producer on this podcast, and I'm joined by Russ McQuaid, who you've heard for the past several weeks. Hey there. So, Russ, we decided to do this first season with Angie Barlow. Uh, Why is that? Well, what we were looking for
1: at Fox 59 is we wanted to reach out and we wanted to take a more in-depth look at some of the cases that we do and some of the stories we do every day, but too often get lost when we move on to the next thing. And we were always intrigued by uh, the case of Angie Barlow. She was a young woman from Muncie, Indiana, moved to Indianapolis, and she was a dancer. And in 2016, she disappeared. Well, her family was very upfront from the very start talking to us getting the message out putting her uh, picture on tv as the case developed we followed along with it until tragically it came to an end in uh, june of 2017 when angie's body was discovered she had been murdered and buried over on the city's east side we covered that extensively people asked a lot of questions about that move forward to this past spring and i cover a lot of uh, murders i pay attention to a lot of the uh, the police reports And I started noticing a lot of reports of young women showing up dead throughout town, but especially on the east side. Well, at the same time, I was getting tips from people in the streets, my sources, neighbors in emails, even police officers. They were asking, hey, is there a serial killer working the east side of town? So when I went out and talked to a mom out there whose daughter had died, she started rattling off all the names of several other dead young women. And I said, wait a minute. A lot of those names are familiar to me. Why are they familiar to you? And she started drawing me a picture, and it all went back to Angie Barlow. Not necessarily Angie Barlow's case, but in one way or another, a lot of these young women knew Angie Barlow. And from the start, I took a look at this and I thought, wow, something is killing the young women of Indianapolis. I don't think it's a serial killer. But something is killing, and and, uh, that's what we set out to find out with this podcast.
0: And so you have decades of experience in covering unsolved murders in Indianapolis. Uh, There's obviously no shortage of cases that we could have chosen for this first season. Why did you feel that this was so important to get the story out with our first podcast?
1: Well, Angie's case, uh, first of all, had gotten a lot of coverage. It sparked the imagination of the public. It's still an unsolved—it's—it's— technically an unsolved mystery, but in talking to the detective and the family, they've got a pretty good idea of what happened to Angie Barlow, who was involved and why. Proving it in court is another issue. Plus, there are many twists and turns of this that You know, you only have so much time when you put a story on TV and two minutes to tell. But when you sit down and you talk with the families, you find out what it was like to live with this mystery 24 hours a day, seven days a week, four years. And you find out the little details and the little stories that go on behind the scenes that you really wouldn't know unless you sat down and talked with a mom for two hours and just got every angle and every story out of it. And so we were able... And I got to give a lot of credit to the moms in this. They were all very cooperative when I called them because they said. Whatever I can do to help solve my daughter's case, heal my own heartbreak and also give a warning to anybody else out there in the streets or that has a family that maybe has a troubled child in it uh, to give them some hope. And also, frankly, in talking with the police, they were very helpful and hopeful, too, that like any sort of publicity it gets this back and gets attention to it because they're always looking for that one more phone call. And hopefully with uh, indie Justice, we can accomplish that.
0: One thing you're no stranger to and had to deal with on this show was really interviewing someone for a long time about what is probably the worst day of their entire life. And when you have to deal with with trying to get mothers to open up about their daughter's death and you know things that are connected to that, what struck you most emotionally about how they were able to tell those stories again and again and again as we've reported this through the years?
1: I'm struck at what great amateur detectives these moms turned into and I guess anybody who's had a kid and sent him off to school with a peanut butter sandwich and the sandwich comes home in the bag going dude why aren't you eating your peanut butter sandwich any mom knows what their kid is up to they've got a feel for it and they instinctively know what's going on in their life what's right and what's wrong and in sitting down talking with these moms these moms, 201, were good amateur detectives that they were able to piece things together, phone calls, things their daughters said, things that were left behind in their daughter's bedrooms, that when they went to the police and they were able to hand them some information and said, okay, IMPD, you've got a running start at this thing. Not only have I dug this up, but I'm not going to stop. I keep my ears open. And these moms, as the investigations continue, they also, they're getting information, social media, phone calls, other conversations. They're asking questions, going around, networking amongst themselves, networking in those neighborhoods. That These moms uh, continue with their own investigations to help solve their daughter's cases.
0: One thing you don't hear a lot in true crime podcasts is from the police side of things. And here we spoke to a lot of investigators, and in a lot of times you could hear the frustration in their voices that this case and these murders remain unsolved. Do you feel like the culprits will be caught? Do you feel like they're any closer now than they were initially when they started investigating?
1: I think in some of these cases I've heard some of the names, some of the people they're looking at. I've done my own background investigation on that and going, boy, this guy's in the right place at the wrong time a lot for a lot of this to happen, and I've got an idea of uh, some of the evidence they've got against them, and it always comes. But knowing this and proving it in court is another thing. And uh, I'm confident in the investigations. From what I can tell, no detective has totally dropped the ball, walked away, thrown their hands up and said, I'm done with this thing. They're still working them. They're coming up with information, but every good investigation depends on one more piece of evidence and a lot of times it's that that one person who maybe was there or didn't take a hand in the killing but knew about it or played a role in transporting a body later or just something like that there are people out there we're hoping to reach them with this podcast cuz i've also learned this about suspects and offenders they pay as much attention to the media and the investigation as the families do, and I can pretty much guarantee you that word has gotten around, especially with a podcast, that you can go national, you can go international with it, with some of these suspects who are out of state of Indiana, I can guarantee they've heard about this, they've listened to it, and so are others who are in that new state with them or have background information, and it's always, this isn't going away, It may be on the back burner, but it's always going to be there. It's not going away. And that's the advantage and the the hope, the olive branch we reach out to the families with of if you're not stopping, Mom, we're not stopping either. We're going to keep finding excuses to come back again and again and keep asking questions, keep working this story.
0: We've been really happy with the response that this podcast has gotten. Have you heard from the families and the detectives and people you spoke to about how they feel about now now that the product's out?
1: Uh, Yes, as a matter of fact, I have. I was just on the phone with uh, the moms the other day, and I've talked to the detectives because I see them a lot or they text me. Uh, First of all, the moms are just, very thankful and appreciative and it took a lot of courage and a leap of faith for them to invite us to sit down with them and as you said to talk to them about the worst day they've ever had they've had a worse day than you and i will ever have if we put our two lives together they were very appreciative of it they appreciated that it was very respectful it was very honest Um, and to a one they always say I can't bring my daughter back. I want justice, but I want to speak to the other moms out there, and I want to speak to other families out there. So the families are very appreciative of it. Uh, Detectives, and detectives are a hard nut to crack. These guys and these women are professionals at this, and they know this stuff, and they can smell BS a mile away, but a lot of them have gotten feedback and said, man, this is really great because it really tells the story from an investigative point of view, and this isn't as easy as you see on TV. And I think we were able to do that uh, with our recounting of the investigation and the questions we asked and the way we put the story together, that they appreciated uh, how we portrayed it, that basically said to our podcast listeners, this isn't that, this is a very complicated thing, and these people aren't dumb. They're really smart when they put this together. One of the points I really wanted to get through to this, and we did this in Episode 4, is we spend a lot of time worried about 17- to 25-year-old young males shooting each other and killing each other, which we should because they make up the greatest roster of our murder victims and firing off a gun gets a lot of attention. But what we found out through this is there's this whole below-the-radar, this whole strata of young women who are at risk in our city, and I would say virtually every city, that nobody's really paying attention to. Uh, It used to be if it was somebody's girlfriend or something like that, but now we're finding... A lot of women are engaged in these risky lifestyles, and so hopefully, and you heard this in uh, episode four, we can get the attention of social organizations, government, law enforcement, law enforcement knows this, the people who put out the grant money for programs and say, just don't focus on 17 to 25-year-old young males. There's a lot of young women out there that are also at risk, and they're also dying violent and preventable deaths. We need more programs to recognize that, their special needs, and uh, to help them avoid uh, these similar fates. That part's been very good. And then, of course, uh, a lot of folks from the general public—and I get this a lot because, we, as you know, we do uh, Indy Unsolved on uh, Fox 59, where we go back and look at cold cases— Our emails and my uh, phone messages have been burning up the last few weeks with other people. Some of them I know, some of them I don't, from previous cases coming forward saying, I've heard it, will you please do my son or my daughter's story? So we're starting to get a lot more tips and a lot more people asking us to uh, profile their case in the hope that it can generate uh, some attention and maybe come to
0: a resolution. And viewers are welcome to tweet at us if they have ideas for other shows that we want to do. Uh, We're at... At Indie Justice Pod on Twitter, and we do have several ideas for upcoming seasons, and we're already working on season two, isn't that right,
1: Russ? Uh, I will tell you about season two. We hope to get it launched uh, before the end of the year, and this involves a young woman named Karen Jo Smith, a young mother, uh, disappeared Christmas time of two thousand, and from the start, everybody pointed the finger at her ex-husband, an ex-con, who had threatened her, and the amazing. Uh, investigation, the family's fortitude, the way that the family launched investigation and their own media outreach campaign, because this was in 2000, before we had things like silver alerts and every TV station you know, responded immediately, and even uh, police departments did not always respond immediately to missing persons. This one case in Indiana changed that. And then what was unique about this, the Marion County Prosecutor's Office needed to go forward And try to get a murder conviction on Karen Joe Smith's ex husband without a body. Her body's never been discovered. This is a story about a young mom. This is a story about a uh, scary ex husband, ex con. This is a story about an amazing prosecution. And it's a story of a case that really transformed the way in Indiana of the way we look at uh, missing persons cases. And uh, I think it's one that uh, our audience is going to want to hear and, and uh, go along with. So we're going to we're gonna flesh all that out. We're going to have it on for you here in the next few weeks. And I think it's going to be every bit as uh, gripping, interesting, and uh, exciting as our, uh, our first season was.
0: Well, great. So stay subscribed for that and any additional stories we come up with uh, down the road. And we'll see you next time for Indie Justice.